Okay. Um, let's take a moment. Um, we're going to just uh, we're going to pray. We're going to ask for God's help uh, as we come to the end of Ephesians and finish our our series uh, this morning. So let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Um, thank you that it breathes life into the, the dry bones of our lives. Thank you that it brings the dead parts of us to life. Uh, it wakes us up. It fills us up. It sends us out. Um, it shakes us up when that's what we need. Um, it brings healing to the parts of us that are wounded. Um, it gives light to our path. Um, it gives us wisdom. Uh, we're so thankful for the gift of your word. We pray you would help us as we take it up again this morning um, to have our ears tuned uh, to the things that you want to say to us by your spirit and by your word. Um, help us to be listening. Help us to be ready to put into practice the things that we hear, um, to walk this out in our daily lives. Um, Father, we pray that you would fill our lives with the beauty of Christ as your word does its work in us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, we, are, we, ha we are coming, we have come uh, to the end of our journey through Ephesians, if we can get our, our PowerPoint up. Um, and just as a, a little reminder of where we've been, uh, the first half of the book uh, we, we thought a lot about God's new society, this new humanity that God is creating in Christ by breaking down the walls of hostility between us and God and between us and each other, uh, creating this new household of faith within which he lives by his spirit um, and displaying God's grace and wisdom to the world and even to the angels. Um, and then in the second half of the book, uh, we've been thinking about how that gets walked out in daily life? How do we put that into practice? How do we live a life that is worthy of that incredibly high calling uh, that we have? Um, and we, we're coming uh, this week to the, the very end of the book and a really famous passage uh, about the armour of God. Um, and just before we come to it and before we read, maybe by way of introduction, um, two, two of the, the oldest books in Western civilization. Um, some people think they're kind of the, the oldest uh, stories of their kind, um, are uh, these books uh, attributed to Homer, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, people often regard them as kind of the, the original archetypal stories on which a lot of the stories of Western, the Western world have, uh, have been based and inspired and, and all the rest. Um, I think what's interesting is um, the Iliad is the story of the, the, the siege of Troy, a 10-year war that went on around the city of Troy. The Odyssey is a story of one man's journey home from the fall of Troy back to his home. Um, and so these two ancient stories that have been so influential, one of them is about a battle and the other one is about a journey. Um, and some people have suggested that actually all the stories we ever tell as human beings are some version of those two stories. Uh, they're based on the idea either that life is a battle or that life is a journey. Um, and I find that kind of interesting. Um, and I wonder, even when I say that, um, I wonder which of those two images 
you are more drawn to? Which one do you prefer? Uh, the idea that life is a battle or the idea that life is a journey? Um, the, the one you lean to or prefer may depend a bit on your own personal story, uh, where you've been and where you are uh, right now. Um, my guess is that in our time, people probably, probably mostly prefer the idea of life as a journey. Um, if you ever watch any reality TV show of any kind, when the contestants are interviewed, they all talk about the journey that they've been on. It's been an amazing journey. It's just a wonderful journey. It's just a really exciting journey. It's a, it's a preferred metaphor of our age. Um, and maybe we might prefer the idea of journey when it comes to faith, um, partly because maybe we're just a bit tired of arguments over religion. And so when you think about Northern Ireland and you think about our own sad history, or you think about the bigger history of the world and the Crusades and things like that and the religious wars that there have been, or maybe just think about the arguments that you hear going on in your life or on the internet or wherever else, uh, we can be a bit tired of battling over religion. And so maybe talking about journey uh, seems a bit more positive and uplifting. So we'd rather talk about uh, faith as a, as a journey. Um, don't, know, don't know what you think about all that. Um, but I want to suggest at the beginning this week that the truth is that we need both pictures. Um, that actually we are in a battle whether we realize it or not. And if we're not aware that we're in a battle, we're not going to be prepared and we're going to be easily taken out by the enemy. And actually, if we can put it this way, we're not going to be able to enjoy the adventure of the journey if we're not <laughs> equipped also for the battle that is, that is waging all around us. Um, and so we need both. Um, and actually, I'm hoping as we explore this this morning, we'll realize that if we think clearly and biblically about spiritual warfare, uh, we'll find that it, it's not going to make us angry, aggressive, militant Christians, um, but actually, in some ways, quite the opposite if we think clearly about it. Okay? So I'm hoping to persuade you that we need this metaphor of the Christian life as a, as a battle. Um, and Ephesians 6 is probably our most helpful passage uh, to help us think about that. Okay, so let's read together. We're going to read uh, from Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10. So let's read together. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions 
with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's where we're going to end. We might read just the end of the book uh, at the very end, uh, just to finish. Um, going to start here. Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Um, it's an incredibly important place to begin in thinking about the battle. Um, we, we need to identify our enemy clearly. Um, and if I can say it this way, your, your neighbor is not your enemy, right? And it's really important that you and I remember that because as we go through our daily lives, it's people that we rub up against and who often irritate us or annoy us or offend us or insult us or rub against us in all kinds of ways. Um, people sometimes who are hostile to our faith or people who just come in to niggle and conflict with us in all kinds of ways. And so the enemies that we're really aware of are people, but we need to hear Paul's word here. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So that person in your work who really annoys you, who's really difficult to work with, that neighbor in your street who drives you mad with whatever it is that they drive you mad with, um, that person you get into arguments with uh, about all kinds of stuff and who just gets under your skin, they are not your enemy, right? Um, and so maybe we need to say it maybe clearly about some of the, the battles that we sometimes pick <laughs> in our world. So your, your atheist neighbor is not your enemy, right? Your pro-choice neighbor, our battle is not with them. Your gay neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your flag-waving loyalist neighbor, your flag-waving nationalist neighbor, your battle is not with them. Your neighbor who keeps you up all night playing their music, your neighbor who's drunk and disorderly, your neighbor who's just rude and annoying, they are not the enemy that we're battling against, right? And it's incredibly important that we remember that because we keep getting drawn in, don't we, to conflict with those people. They're the one that we're aware of. They're in our face. But Paul says, your battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not called to fight a battle against our neighbor. We're called, what are we called to with our neighbor? We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. We're called to bless them even when they curse us. We're called to pray for their good, right? So our, our battle that we're involved in, uh, that's where we need to begin. Um, it's not against flesh and blood. Somebody has said, uh, if you're trying to figure out if somebody is the, the enemy you're meant to be fighting, check if they have flesh and blood. If they have flesh and blood, they're not your enemy. That's not who you're meant to be fighting against. Um, who is the enemy? If we're trying to get a clear view, Paul says, um, so there, sorry, I should have had that up. Uh, the, the people that we, we uh, encounter every day. Paul says, uh, our battle is against the rulers and the authorities against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? That's Paul's identification of who we're meant to be exerting our energy in battling against. Um, maybe just worth a little note. Um, <coughs> some people have suggested whenever the, the traditional language here is the principalities and powers, uh, that's how the older translations 
um, have it. And some people have suggested that principalities and powers can, can refer to evil expressed in human structures and institutions. So things like governments and businesses and even religious organizations that become a kind of structural embodiment of evil. Um, and if you and I think about it for a moment, there's absolutely no doubt that evil can become dominant in those kind of structures and organizations and can use them to cause real harm. Um, we could even maybe say that, that structures and organizations can become de demonic in the way that they operate. But um, I also think it's very clear um, as we look at Paul's language that that's not Paul's main emphasis. Whatever he means by the principalities and powers, he's not mainly talking about structures and organizations on earth. Um, he's talking about spiritual enemies. Um, we can put it really bluntly. He's talking about malevolent spirits which war against your soul. He's talking about the devil and demons. Um, and I'm saying it really bluntly because I'm aware that it, it's not particularly fashionable uh, to talk about those things today uh, or maybe even to believe in those things today. Um, and I'm not going to make an argument for belief in the devil um, but I simply want to make uh, just a really simple observation that as you read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, the conflict with demonic powers lies right at the center of the story. The story of the Gospels doesn't make any sense if you remove that part of the story. Uh, Jesus constantly comes up against and confronts and enters into battle with the powers of darkness, with these spiritual forces. Jesus speaks often of the prince of this world. That's the title he normally uses for the devil. Um, and actually when John was writing, uh, was kind of trying to summarize in one sentence, the reason Jesus came in 1 John, he says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the <laughs> devil's work, right? So the whole story of Jesus doesn't make sense without this battle with spiritual powers of darkness. Uh, and so I want to suggest this morning, the story of Jesus doesn't make any sense if you don't pay attention to that battle. And I also want to suggest that your story and the story of our lives and the story of our world won't make sense if we don't pay attention to this spiritual battle. You'll always be missing an essential piece of the puzzle. You won't be able to diagnose accurately what's going on if you look at every other factor of people and organizations and action and what's happening in the visible world, but you don't pay attention to this hidden invisible realm of what is going on. Uh, there's more going on than our eyes can see. Uh, we live in the midst of immense invisibles, as, as Eugene Peterson says. Uh, and if we don't pay attention to that, we're not gonna get to the heart of the problem. Um, one of my, my favorite quotations about the devil uh, comes from a, a novel called Jaber Crow, uh, in which the, the narrator says, if the devil doesn't exist, how do you explain that some people are a lot worse than they're smart enough to be? Um, and I've always found that very compelling. There's more going on than just the human and just the visible. Um, we're not gonna understand, we're not gonna diagnose accurately unless we pay attention. Um, and we also need to be aware as we think about that enemy, we need to be aware that that enemy is really sneaky. Right? What's, what's the phrase that Paul uses? He talks about the devil's schemes. 
uh, in the old translations, it talked about the wiles of the devil um, or his tricks or his strategies. Um, he is very clever. He is very devious. Um, it says somewhere else in the New Testament that he masquerades as an angel of light. He's very good at disguises. He's very good at hiding himself. Um, and that's really important for you and I to recognize. Um, he knows the best way to try to deceive you. And he'll adapt his strategy to you. Um, so sometimes, sometimes I think with, uh, when we think about the enemy, um, we have our own idea of what evil looks like and what the demonic looks like. But sometimes it's kind of like we're watching our front door and we're looking through the curtains and we're watching for somebody coming. And meanwhile, somebody has sneaked around the back and is nicking our TV out the back. Because we're, we're, while, we, while we pay attention to what we, we think evil should look like or the demonic should look like, he's attacking somewhere else. He's very devious. He's very sneaky. Um, for some of us, he will try to convince us not to pay any attention to him at all. And in that way, we're not aware of his tricks. For some of us, he'll get us really obsessed with thinking about the devil and demons. So we see them everywhere. But meanwhile, we're not seeing where the real danger lies. Um, he's going to be he's going to be sneaky. He's going to be tricky. The wiles of the devil, uh, we need to be beware of. Um, I want to I want to mention for a second. I was reading a little bit this week, um, and I found it both quite inspiring and. Uh, and other things as well. But I was reading about Martin Luther, um, who's a, a, one of the most compelling characters in, in church history. And there's a quote from Luther. Luther says, I was born to battle devils. <laughs> it's not some phrase. He says, I, I was born to battle devils. And there's all kinds of stories about Luther. Um, there's a story about Luther that when he was translating the Bible into German, tr trying to get the word of God into the vernacular of the people, uh, the devil appeared to him in his room to try to distract him from the work, work he was doing. I don't know what you would do if that happened to you, but the story about Luther is that he picked up his inkwell and threw it at the devil and told him in many strong words uh, to get lost and not distract him from the work uh, that he was doing. Um, I hesitated to know whether I should tell this, this one or not, but I'm going to tell it, and you can forgive me if uh, this goes too far, but there's a story about Luther uh, that he had a habit of, get, of getting each morning when he got up, uh, he would spend time on the toilet singing hymns. Um, and the story goes that one day one of his students uh, suggested to him that this was inappropriate, uh, to which Luther's answer was, not at all. What goes up is for God and what goes down is for the devil. Uh, so, <laughs> so there you go. Um, forgive me, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, but, but I wonder how you feel about that. I was born to battle devils, right? That we're born in some sense to do conflict with the powers of darkness and to claim ground for the kingdom of God. Um, I wonder how you feel about that. Um, I, I want to I address this maybe, that maybe for some of us, um, when we start talking about spiritual warfare, it immediately starts to make us a bit nervous. Because uh, maybe some of us are thinking, I was already aware of all these things I need to be worried about that are going on in the visible world. And now we also need to worry about invisible malevolent spirits. Um, and we can start to actually become a bit jumpy and paranoid and anxious and a bit twitchy when we, when we think about this. Um, and I don't know if that, that uh, is true for some of us in the room, um, but I want to say for all of us, the big message 
that I want us to hear this morning is this, stand firm. Um, I don't know if you noticed as we read the passage, uh, the repetition of the language of, of standing. Um, Paul, Paul says it in, in several different ways. Um, he says, uh, what does he say? He says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, he says in, in verse 13, so that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And then verse 14, stand firm then. Um, kind of sounds like it's a message Paul wants to get across clearly. Um, I, I want to suggest that's the big message from this passage. Um, we were uh, in the discipleship group that we have on a Wednesday night. We were talking this week about how God's commands are also promises of what he intends to do in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And that every command we get from God, we can take to him and say, would you fulfill this in my life? Would you help me to do this? And so I want, I want you to hear this not only as a command, but also as a promise that you can stand firm. Even in the day of evil, even when the devil does his worst, even when he throws the kitchen sink at you, um, you can stand firm with your feet firmly planted. You don't need to be intimidated or overwhelmed or defeated. Um, and I guess I want to suggest this passage is not meant to make you twitchy and anxious. It's meant to help you stand with your feet firmly planted. Right? And I wonder, does that sound good to you? To be able to stand firm, whatever life throws at you, whatever the devil throws at you, to know that you're, you're on, on solid ground. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot this week because I've been thinking about how uh, I think our age is an age of anxiety. Our, our age doesn't seem to be an age where people are standing very firm. It seems like everything is shaking at the minute. Um, it can feel like everything in our world is changing, uh, like the ground is unstable, like everything's in flux. Um, and as we look at our lives and maybe the lives of people around us, it can seem like our lives are full of flurry and worry all the time. And we're worried and distracted by many things and we're blown about from here to there. And there's a lot of anxiety in the air. Um, commentators have, have uh, talked about how media and social media are carriers of anxiety, almost like a nervous system that spreads anxiety through the body of humanity. Um, and we can run around kind of like, chi like chicken licking, saying the, the sky is falling down every time an acorn falls on our head. Um, we don't know what to be genuinely worried about and what we don't need to worry about, and we're, we're very twitchy. I don't know if you would agree. It's a twitchy generation at the minute. Um, and sometimes even our Christian communities, when we get together as believers, can be places where we share anxiety, <laughs> where we tell each other things that we should be worrying about, about how bad the world's getting and what's going on out there, and oh my goodness, and we can do our own chicken licking thing in here as well. Um, and sometimes even reading a passage like Ephesians 6, depending how we read it, how we hear it, can make us even more anxious about devils and demons and, and all the rest. Um, I, I was doing a bit of reading uh, recently, I hope, hope this bit makes sense, uh, about uh, something called family systems. And it's kind of uh, psychologists who study the way families interact with each other. Um, but I, my, my attention was caught by this little bit that was about how whenever a family system is infected with anxiety and nervousness, it's really contagious and it spreads to every member of the family. Everybody becomes a bit nervous and anxious and twitchy. 
Um, but the bit that really caught my attention was this, that uh, those who've done research in this area have found if one person in the family is able to be a non-anxious presence, that can have a profound impact on the rest of the family. That is also contagious and can actually bring healing to the whole system. And that kind of jumped off the page at me. And of course, immediately what you want to know is, well, how do you do that, right? If everybody around you is losing their head, how do you keep yours? If everybody else is, is shaky and wobbly and twitchy, how do you stand firm? Um, how, wouldn't we love to be a non-anxious presence in our family, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our world? Wouldn't that be a powerful thing to be? And I think this chapter uh, can help us to do that, to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of our world. How do we do it? Um, here's the big banner headline. Um, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, or as some translations say, in the strength of his might. Right? That, that's kind of the big takeaway that I want you to take with you into the week. Uh, stand firm. How do we stand firm? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, in his mighty power. Um, I think that's the most important sentence in this chapter. Um, our confidence is in God himself. Um, the, the reason I want to underline that is I've kind of noticed with this chapter that, that kind of tendency to anxiety that some of us have. If we focus on the, the bits of armor that, are, that come in the passage, and I'm going to mention them in a minute, some of us actually become really anxious about how do I put it on and have I put it on right and how often do I need to put it on and we can actually, it's, it's amazing the way, the way we can make even a passage like this a source of anxiety. The banner headline is, find your confidence in God himself. The bits of armor are just different ways of expressing that. But our confidence is in God, in his presence, in his power, in his strength. That's where we hide. That's where we stand. That's where we find our feet on solid ground. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Um, in the Old Testament, when you talk about the Lord, you're talking mainly about Yahweh, about God, God himself. In the New Testament, when you talk about the Lord, um, I think very often what it means is it's talking about Christ, it's talking about Jesus. What does it mean for you and I to be strong in Jesus? Um, I think it means this. It means to remember that Jesus has gone into the heart of darkness for us, right? that he went into hand-to-hand -hand combat with the devil himself. Um, when, if you're reading John's Gospel, um, there's an amazing sequence of, of statements that Jesus makes as he gets closer to the cross. Uh, chapter 12, he says, Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Chapter 14, he says, The prince of this world is coming. Almost like he can hear his footsteps coming. Prince of this world is approaching. Uh, chapter 16, he says, the prince of this world now stands condemned. So how does Jesus understand what he's going to do on the cross? That he's going into confrontation with the devil himself. Uh, and after Jesus had died and gone into combat with the devil and risen from the dead, Paul was able to write this, and we read this earlier in Ephesians, that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power 
and dominion. Right? So how do you and I stand when there are powers and authorities coming against us? Um, we stand in Christ and his death and resurrection and his victory over all the powers of darkness. Why, why do you and I not need to be twitchy and anxious and afraid? Because Jesus has defeated the powers. He has defeated all the powers of darkness. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians, he has disarmed the powers and authorities and made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by his cross. Isn't that amazing? He's made a, made a spectacle of them, made a mockery of them, and triumphed over them by, the, by his cross. Um, and that is the one who dwells in your heart through faith. Remember we read that earlier in Ephesians? That is the one who dwells in your heart through faith. Um, sometimes we sing, praise the one who fights for me. Right? That is the one that we find our confidence in, that we find our strength in. Um, we need to say it to each other, I think, again and again and again, when we get twitchy, <laughs> that the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Right? I think we need to say that to each other regularly. How much greater is he? He's immeasurably greater than the one who's in the world. That's not to underestimate the devil. It's to make sure that we are properly estimating the power of Christ Amen. and his victory over evil. Um, and so we've got to say it again. Jesus comes to you this morning, and what does he say? He says what he says so often. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world, right? And we need to hear, I think we need to preach those things to each other again and again and to, each other, and to ourselves again and again and get up every morning and remind ourselves of that again because we're going to see lots of stuff coming at us that intimidates us and can threaten to overwhelm us. But the one who is in you as you get up every morning is immeasurably greater than the one who's in the world. Um, can I use a really... Um, childish image that uh, came, to, came to mind for me as I thought about this. I was thinking about the devil and how wily he is. Um, and it made me think of a cartoon from my childhood uh, about Wile E. Coyote. Do you remember Wile E. Coyote? He was always scheming and plotting and strategizing to try to trip up the roadrunner. But how did it always end? Um, it ended like this, <laughs> right? And I, and I don't want to be flippant or silly this morning. But I think we need to have greater confidence um, as, you, as people who have Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, right? The devil is going to do his worst against you. But if you stand in the strength of God, if you stand in the strength of Christ, all of his schemes are going to end up like this. Because God has put all of his enemies under the feet of Christ. And you are seated with Christ, so they are under your feet as well. And so we need to maybe speak to each other a little more and say, don't be intimidated, right? We need to take the devil seriously. We need to be alert. We need to be awake. We need to be aware. But we need to not be intimidated. We need to not be anxious. We need to not be dismayed or overwhelmed. Um, you can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of your family, in the midst of your workplace, in the midst of your neighborhood, because Christ dwells in your heart through faith. And he has thrown down the dragon, right? He has hurled him down by his death and resurrection. You can stand firm. And so, I got a bit overexcited about all that. Um, I, I, don't, I don't actually want this morning to go through the armor 
piece by piece. Uh, sometimes uh, maybe that's what preachers uh, love to do. Uh, but as I prepared for this morning, I felt, um, I, I want to encourage you, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. He doesn't tell us how to do that. Uh, but I want to encourage you to go and, um, I, I don't know if it's the right word to say, play with that a little bit or have fun with that a little bit. But I want you to go and talk to God about it, right? Talk to God about this passage and say, I want to learn how to put these things on. Would you teach me? Um, I think we put on the armor of God by praying imaginatively through this passage, talking to God and listening to God as we go through it. So I want to encourage you to, to do that this week. I don't want to um, explain this passage to you this morning. I want you to go and pray it uh, in the week ahead and put on these things. So you can, talk, you can pray about the belt of truth that holds everything together and ask God, what is the belt of truth and how do I put it on? Um, you can put on the breastplate of righteousness Ask God, how do I put that on? How do I buckle that on so my, my heart and my, my sensitive organs are all protected um, by the breastplate of righteousness? How do I take up the shield of faith that extinguishes the arrows that the devil fires of accusation and temptation and doubt and all the rest? Um, how do I put on the helmet of salvation um, that guards my mind and guards my thoughts and, uh, and keeps me safe? Um, I want to encourage you to take the passage into the week um, and talk to God about it and pray through this passage. Um, I, I just want to mention really briefly um, two of the items. Um, I, I all, my attention is always caught by the, what we wear on our feet. Um, pe people sometimes say the only offensive weapon uh, that we're given is the sword. Uh, but actually, <laughs> I actually have a small disagreement about that because what Paul says about what we wear on our feet. What does he say? Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so whatever is going on there, it doesn't sound like we're just standing still. We've talked about standing. But what Paul seems to be talking about there is a kind of um, readiness to move out. It's kind of being light on our feet, being agile, being ready to kind of leap into action and go, go where we're needed. Uh, that's kind of how I hear uh, that bit. And I, I kind of love that image of being in a war zone with arrows flying about and all kinds of stuff going on around us. But we are on the move. We're ready to run and leap. And we're actually looking for the part of the battle where we're needed and ready to leap in there. And what do we have with us as we go? It's the gospel of peace, right? Which is a really weird thing to have in a sense in the middle of a war zone. But actually it's exactly what is needed. Uh, we, we're looking for the heart of the battle and we're bringing the gospel of peace. We are carriers of a powerful message of peace. We're looking for the places maybe in our town, in our neighborhood, in our world, where the darkness is greatest, where the battle is, uh, is strongest. And we're ready to go there. We're ready to leap into action because we have something that is a remedy for what is wrong with the world. Does that sound a bit more offensive? It doesn't sound like we're just staying in one place. Sounds like we're going to the heart of the battle. Um, and it always reminds me of the words of Isaiah the prophet who said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace. Right? We, we are armed with that. We are carrying that. We can take it uh, to the heart of the battle. But then Paul does say, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And there's no doubt that's our most dramatic offensive weapon that we've been given. 
Um, this is how we resist the devil so he will flee from us, which is a promise that we're given in the New Testament. Um, and I think Jesus is our example here. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted and tested by the devil in the wilderness? How did he fight? Right? He quotes Deuteronomy to the devil three times. He takes out the word of God, which he stored up in his mind and heart, and he wields it effectively and powerfully so the devil will flee. Um, the word of God, we're told, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, it penetrates and it cuts to the heart of things. It reveals things that are hidden. It sets people free. It, it makes the enemy flee. Um, uh, and again, you and I always got to remember um, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, so we don't use the sword to hurt people, right? We have a little bit of a history in Northern Ireland of taking up the sword, which is the word of God, and battering people with the flat of the blade. Um, that's not an effective strategy. The people you and I are dealing with are bound in ropes. They're in bondage. And the sword is to cut the ropes to set them free. And doing that without hurting the person takes discernment and skill. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit to know how to wield the sword. Use the sword to fight the real enemy and set people free. That's what we're about. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then Paul says, and pray in the Spirit. Um, it's kind of where I want to I wanna end. Um, it seems like prayer um, is central to the battle. Um, it's not listed as an item of armor. Um, but I think in some ways, prayer is how we put on all the other items. Um, it's how we wield the sword. It's how we, um, it's how we fight. Um, it's through prayer. Um, I love Paul says we're to pray. You ask Paul, what kind of prayer should we pray and when should we pray and who should we pray for? And Paul says, all kinds of prayers on all occasions for all God's people. So that's pretty exhaustive <laughs> and pretty inclusive. Um, but I love that phrase, pray in the spirit. And it sits right alongside uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, and for me, it's kind of an encouragement. As we pray, take up the word of God and, and pray in the authority and the power of God's word. The spirit will show us how to wield that sword. Um, I think one of the most powerful things we can do in prayer um, as we face challenging situations of brokenness and hurt and darkness and despair um, is to ask the Spirit to give us specific verses of Scripture that we can apply to that situation um, and then pray in the power of God's Word and in the authority uh, of the Spirit and turn those, those Scriptures into prayer. Um, I guess I find myself wondering, how would you and I pray differently if, we are, if we've put on the armour of God? Um, how would that change the way you and I pray if we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength? How would that change how you and I pray? Um, I find myself reflecting that sometimes when I pray, I'm really just worrying out loud. <laughs> um, and at the end of my prayers, I'm, I'm sometimes more anxious than when I began. Um, and I find myself wondering this week, do we need to learn to pray with authority? Do we need to learn to stand with confidence in his strength, rooted in scripture, in the power of the Spirit who is present in the room as we pray? Um, do we need to learn to pray in a way that contends against the darkness, that looks for where the darkness is in our world and then prays with authority 
into those places. Um, I've wondered about what the kind of prayer that makes us non-anxious. Uh, Paul says in another place, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God will guard your, your mind and your heart. I wonder, did you notice as I read, what is Paul's, when Paul says, pray for me, what is his number one prayer? Pray that I would be fearless. Pray that I would be fearless. That I'd be set free from fear to stand firm with the gospel of peace, to proclaim the message that we have with boldness and to not be intimidated by my human uh, captors or by the spiritual enemies that come against me. Always um, amazed by the fact as Paul wrote these words, he was in chains. He was probably possibly chained to a soldier as he writes. He says, pray that I would be fearless. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to pray? Um, I wonder what it would look like for you and I to learn to pray like that, um, that we'd be set free from fear, that we'd not be intimidated by the enemy, and that we'd actually start to take back ground that the enemy has stolen in our world and in people's lives with the authority of God's word um, and praying in the spirit uh, on all occasions. Let me finish with this. Um, Paul finishes the letter um, as he began with his two favorite words, uh, which are grace and peace. I'm going to read you just the very end uh, of the letter. Right at the beginning, he greeted everybody and he, he wished them grace and peace. How does he finish? Verse 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Um, wonder does it sound strange after talking about warfare to finish with words like that. Um, I think it, it's very tempting for you and I to try to fight the battle with the same weapons as the world. Um, but we don't fight with the same weapons as the world. We don't fight anger with anger, hate with hate, cursing with cursing. We don't fight with armies or guns or man manipulation or propaganda or any of the tricks that our world uses. We fight with weapons like grace and peace, right? Which doesn't sound like much. We fight with faith. We fight with prayer. We fight with scripture. We fight with the gospel of peace. Those are the weapons that you and I have been given. And we need to not lose our nerve and go look for some bigger, more frightening weapons. We need to trust that this is what we've been given. And this is how we fight. These are the things that will overcome the world. Um, and you and I carry them this week into all the places that we go. So let's uh, pray for each other, pray for ourselves as we go into the week. Um, if you'd like someone to, to pray with you before you go this morning, uh, there'll be a couple of people up here uh, who would love to pray with you uh, before you leave this morning. In a moment, we're going to sing. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask, would you teach us what it means to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? Would you help us to take our stand there, to plant our feet firmly? Father, you know there's lots of things in our world that are noisy and uh, that can intimidate us and that can make us scared and that can make us anxious. 
Would you help us to find strength in you, to find our confidence in you? Would you help us to remember and to believe that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities and overcome all the powers of darkness? Would you help us to remember that the one who's in us is far, far greater than the one who's in the world? Would you help us today? Would you help us tomorrow with all the things that we face? Not to be overwhelmed, not to be intimidated, not to be anxious. Um, Help us to use the weapons that you've given us of prayer and faith and confidence in the gospel of peace. Help us to take up your word and find strength there. And Father, give us confidence to go and take back ground that the enemy has stolen in our world and in our neighborhood and in the places where we go. Um, Father, help us to wield the sword of the Spirit. Um, Help us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And Father, I pray you would make us as your people um, a dangerous force for good in our world, a dangerous force for blessing and for healing and for salvation. And I pray that your kingdom would advance as we, your people, learn to walk in the way that you've called us to. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's stand together and sing as we finish. Mm-hmm.